Thank you, Kevin. That was an awesome song. It couldn't be more appropriate for where we're going this morning. So we're going to give Aaron a break. He's been pulling double and triple duty here lately with Mike gone. And so we really appreciate all the work Aaron does around here for us. Amen. So we're starting a new uh, book today, and we're going to be in the book of Esther. So uh, what I thought we would do to start off with is we're going to go ahead and read the first two chapters. We're not going to read them word scripture for scripture. We're going to skip just a little bit for the sake of time. But it's good for us to have that behind us as we go into uh, the message this morning. And then we're going to pray. So read with me. Um, it's going to be up on the screen. Hopefully we're going to be in, in tune here. If we're not, you can open up your Bibles and we're going to be real close. Okay, Esther, we're going to start with uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Now in the days of Hasuerus, the Hasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 121 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. Verse 9, Queen Ashti, excuse me, Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuma, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zetha, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king and her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in the law and judgment. Verse 15, According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of the king of King Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard the queen's behavior will say, this, say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus, oh, I'll get there. 
Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Hege, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Now there was, in Jew, in, there was a Jew in Susa, the city whose name was Mordecai. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had never she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and the and his edict were proclaimed, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Hegai, who had charge of the women, and the young women pleased woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. When turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, and when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is in the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Tham and Teresh, Two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came known, and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we come before you in your word and we give you thanks for all scripture is given from you and it is profitable for us for reproof, for correction in righteousness, for strength, Lord, that we might be fit for every good work. And Lord, I just pray that you would share with us what's on your heart for us through this story, through this book, through what has taken place here, 
that we could be edified, that we can see you more clearly, that you can be exalted, and that we can leave this place with encouragement and strengthen our faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, we are um, continuing in our series of being faithful in exile, and that's why we're here in Esther. Uh, The Jews are still in exile. Uh, We open up with uh, the king, um, and we've come through Nebuchadnezzar all the way down through Darius, and Darius' son, who is Ahasuerus. That's where we're at right now. It's also known as Xerxes. That might ring a bell for some of you. It's in secular history. He reigned, from, he reigned for 21 years, from B.C. 486 to 465. Um, it's worth noting that when he gave this banquet, yes, it was about him gloating and showing his glory and what he had, but, and it lasted for six months, but it was for another reason as well. Remember, four years have passed from this time of the banquet to when uh, Queen Esther became queen. Esther became queen. After this banquet, he went off to Greece to fight a war with two million soldiers and came back with 5,000 soldiers. So if you want to check that out in history, it was some interesting battles that took place. He got kicked. Uh, Esther is, to me, a very interesting book in the fact that the the name Esther is mentioned 48 times in the whole Bible and no place is it mentioned except in the book of Esther. There's no place in the Bible where anybody quotes the scripture from Esther. It's kind of hidden. It has its own exile, so to speak. And... um, There's another thing that's rather interesting. The name of God is never mentioned in this book. It's the only book where God is not even mentioned. Prayer is not even mentioned here. God seems to be in exile here. And so what is it for us to try and receive from this? Is it just a good story Do we believe it really did happen? Well, it really did happen. And it's really in our Bible because God put it there. It's there for a reason. It's there for us to learn and to know something from. So we're we're going to spend a little bit of time here trying to see what God would have for us. And so I can only share with you what I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart for for us for today. And... um, One of the things that is kind of odd as well to me is we have this beautiful young maiden named Hadassah, becomes Esther, and she goes and marries, has to spend the night with an ungodly king, an idol worshiper. He's not a Jew. Just to qualify to maybe she can be a king and marry This man who is ungodly, doesn't know God, I think it's worth noting that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get moving along. Uh, 
There's two primary themes I want to talk about this morning in the next approximately 15, 20 minutes. One is the theme of God's providence in exile and the theme of God's people being significant in exile as well as God's people being insignificant in exile. The two go together and we have to understand what that actually means and the question for most of us is well do we believe in God's providence most of us would say absolutely we believe in God's providence God is in control we just sang about that but when things get really rough when the world gets turned upside down when something really bad happens do you still do I still believe in God's providence I think it's really hard. I think we have to be honest with ourselves. We struggle with believing in God's providence. We struggle with saying, thank you, Lord, for everything that's happening. You know, we look at the fires to the riots to the political climate to where the whole world is at today, China, Russia, Iran, you name it, it's in upheaval. And we find how fragile our world really is. And if we take a hard look at that, it's pretty scary. But God is calling us to say, well, do you believe I'm in control or not? And when he's in control, he gets glorified. When we see that he's in control, we can glorify him. If we doubt his control and we start having bitterness in our own hearts based on what we see and experience, we don't glorify God in our lives. We don't show the light that we're called to show. And we all struggle with that. And in this story, we're going to take a look at some really hard, hard times. We look at Esther. Her life started out by her parents dying. That doesn't sound very cool to me. It doesn't sound like something God is all about. Why did God do that? because he prepared Mordecai to take care of Esther. That was for a specific reason. And of course, at the end of this, you know, we got 10 chapters to go through. I'm just introducing you in the first two chapters. It's for the salvation of his people. There's something bigger going on than what we see. His parents die? That's, that's pretty big. Um, Mordecai taking her in, showing compassion on her, raising her, teaching her. She grows up wanting to obey Mordecai. We see Vashti. We see Queen Vashti who refused the king. That's just not very smart. I mean, she's the queen. Doesn't she know what could possibly happen here? She gets vanished, never more, to see, never more to see the king. She doesn't get to just go back to her people. It's over for her. She stays in some type of room or harem back there, and that's over for her. She's, she's done, period, just because she chose not to obey the king. I mean, for us, we could look at her and say, well, yeah, but, you know, look what the king was trying to do, just show her off. He's just trying to be Mr. Big Shot. But back in those days, and in his time, you just don't do stuff like that. So there was a reason for that. 
And what I think happening here is God was involved in making sure Vashti refused the king. It's easy for us to say, well, this is all about Vashti and her attitude. Well, it is about that. But it's also about God working behind the scenes that we don't see. And does he do that? How about Mordecai? Just happened to be in the right place at the right time? Hearing about the guard's plot to kill the king? No, that was all set up by God. That was set up by God. And again, God is using that incident to save his people. So as we look at God's providence, what do we really see God doing? I look at uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The scripture says in Exodus 14.4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall, not, shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Exodus fourteen seventeen. And I will harden the heart, the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And I think when we read the story, sometimes we think, well, look at Pharaoh, what a fool. He's such a mean Pharaoh. But this was all set up by God. It was God who hardened his heart. It was God who caused him to sin. Even though God hates sin and doesn't sin himself, he hardened Pharaoh's heart so he would sin, so that God's glory would be revealed. We live in a sinful world. We live in the midst of sinful people. That's just the way it is. And they make sinful decisions and they do sinful things. And it'd be easy for us to just look at them and say, man, they are gonna get their just due. And trust me, God will give all of us our just due. But as believers in God, we say, well, look, our lives belong to God, right? And this thing is happening. I don't need to have hate towards this person or that person or this ruler, or that ruler, God is still God, and he will receive his glory. He will. He is in control. Here's another incident I want to share with you in John chapter 19, 11, when he stands before, when Jesus stands before Pilate. And Jesus answers Pilate and says, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate here doesn't really have a lot of choices. He didn't really want to, it seemed like, deliver Jesus over. But it was God's plan. It was God's plan for him to even sin. It was God's plan for the Jews to even sin. 
And, P and Jesus made it clear. You don't have authority over me, except my Father gave it to you. And everybody who is in authority, whether we like it or not, God gave it to them. It doesn't take away our personal responsibilities. But if we don't have faith in what God is doing, we're not exalting God. God is not getting any glory at all. Okay, Dan, here we go. Um, the second part of this is the significance. And it's the significance of God's people. Why God does what he does, yes, is for his glory, and it's also for our own significance. And what is our own significance? Let's talk a little bit about that. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, he's talking about John the Baptist, and Mike Clary shared this too a few weeks back. Um, born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And we go, how could that be? How could that be that I could be greater than King David, King Solomon, Elijah? You name it. But John was greater than all of them, and he that's least in the kingdom is greater than him. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's obviously it's not because there's anything in ourselves that make us great. We're all Quite frankly, all of us are losers in ourselves. That's who we are. <laughs> yeah, it's good to laugh at ourselves, I think. But we are. There's nothing of significance based on what I do. I didn't choose where I'd be born. I didn't choose whether I'd be a male or female. I didn't choose to be an American citizen versus a Chinese citizen. I didn't have anything to do with any of that. So why should I boast in what I am? It's, it's got nothing to do with it. So when we receive Christ in our hearts, the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ, and it's Christ in you. That's what gives us value. We have something that the Old Testament men and women just did not have. They, they saw it vaguely. They saw it in part, where we've been given the whole thing in Christ Jesus. The value that we have in God is insurmountable. You can't even calculate it. You can't even reference it to something because it's too great. And that's what he's given us. And the point here is, it's not about you and me. It is about him. That's our value. And when we look at Esther, she didn't have a choice. It wasn't her that she was born the way she was born, with no parents. She didn't find Madel, you know, Mordecai. It appears that Mordecai found her. The king took her. She didn't go running to the king. He chose her. This was about what God did, not about what we do. And in the end, God will get the glory for that. So how do we become significant? 
Well, even Mordecai didn't plan on what happened. He didn't plan on the two guards being there and listening to that and reporting it. It just happened. And um, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who, beca- who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness from God, 